This is the Amblecote Christian Centre podcast. So thanks for rejoining this series on God and work. Work is such an important part of our lives. On average, we'll spend around 90,000 hours at work during our lifetime. Uh, That's the equivalent of 30 years, not 30 years in work, but 30 years of actually working. That is some long time. So it's essential for us to understand that God has a purpose for work because it's such a huge part of our lives. And that's just what this series is about. The first podcast, you recall, we talked about God's purpose for work. In the second podcast, we looked at some of the ways in which work can be dysfunctional or become dysfunctional. Uh, We called it the problems of work. And now we're going to look at uh, the power of the gospel in work. So today we're going to ask this question, how do we see our work through the lens of the gospel? And then I'll try and give you some practical examples of how this might affect the way you and I work. But before we talk about some practical ways that the gospel affects work, I want to talk a little bit about what is called our worldview, or more precisely, uh, we could say our gospel worldview. I'll not talk about this too much. Tim Murray has already done a great job in his second podcast looking at this subject where he talked about redemptive worldview, um, the same thing really. I'd really encourage you to listen to this, um, or maybe if you've listened to it already, listen to it for a second time. So when we say that as Christians we should work from a gospel worldview or a redemptive worldview, what does it mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that we need to be constantly speaking about Christian views, perspectives and teaching in our workplace. Some people think that faithfully living out the gospel worldview is what we would call Christianizing the workplace. Taking this approach would mean that Christian musicians make Christian music, Christian writers then would write stories about conversion, and Christian businessmen and women would work for companies that make Christian products and services for Christian customers. Um, Yes, some Christians are in those fields and may well do those things, but it's a mistake to think that a gospel worldview is only faithfully employed um, when we're doing such overtly Christian activities. A better way to think of a gospel worldview, or as Tim put it, a redemptive worldview, is instead thinking of the gospel as a set of lenses through which you look at everything in the world. Tim explained this very well. Uh, In summary, a gospel worldview could be summed up by saying that the shape of the way we look at things is shaped by our understanding of three things. Number one, you'll remember he talked about creation, a world in which everything was good. The fall, that is, the whole word's fallen, sin affects everything. In fact, its impact is felt theologically, sin separates man from God. Psychologically, sin separates man from himself. Sociologically, we see this a lot played out in our current culture, sin separates us one from another. Ecologically, sin impacts the physical world in which we live. But it has another component that brings this amazing hope, and that is redemption. So there is a creation, all things are good. There is the fall, all things are less than they should be. But redemption is the fact that the whole world, absolutely everything in it, 
is going to be redeemed. So through our gospel lenses, so to speak, we see that God created a good world. We see that it was disfigured by sin and evil. But these lenses have opened our eyes to see the self-giving love that God, uh, that propelled God to send his son to redeem it at infinite cost. Through these glasses, we look forward to the day he will return and renew the whole of creation completely. So what does this mean for work? Through these lenses, we see that work was created by God and is good. In fact, it was a part of paradise. I think I mentioned that in my first podcast. Secondly, we see that work in all its shapes and structures has been corrupted. But we also see that we can play our part in living in the light of God's redemptive work as both workers and employers. So what I'm going to try and do now is articulate what seeing through those lenses means practically. First, we'll look very briefly at some thoughts around being an employee and an employer. So we're all, many of us will be employees and some of us will be employers. To do this, we're going to look at some verses in Ephesians chapter 6. And then after this, I'm going to talk about some characteristics of the gospel that should shape the way we work. I'm going to talk about three characteristics. Uh, could be evident in the way that we do our work. So let's begin by looking at this whole thought of employees and employers, or as Paul puts it, slaves and masters. More about that in a moment. Don't get tied up with this whole idea of slaves and masters. And these verses come from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, 5 through to 9. Listen to these words. Slaves, obey your earthly masters, with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely if you would serve Christ. Try to, try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favourites. Paul speaking into a cult current cultural context in Ephesus. Now, much could be said here about slavery. Um, in our modern world, the term slavery evokes memories of the horrendous African slave trade. The slavery described here is the slavery of a Greco-Roman world, and it's not the same. Paul is speaking to servants and masters in some ways. I want us to think of this in the equivalent of employees and employers. So firstly, as employees, how might these verses speak to us? And here's three simple thoughts. So through these lenses, through our gospel lenses, we recover a new purpose for work. Paul talks about work in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about serving wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord. This sort of makes the Lord your employer. You're working for him in what you do as much as the person who pays you. It's not just in Christian ministry type jobs that you work for the Lord. Listen to this. We all work for the Lord irrespective of the job that we do. So a new purpose for work. 
Number two, I think through this gospel lens, we recover a new motivation for work. Paul says here, serve wholeheartedly. Christians are not to do the bare minimum that they can get away with. You know, sort of the idea of busying yourself only when the boss is looking on. This shouldn't be the way that we work as believers. We're to be fully engaged at work, doing the job that we have to the best of our ability and in a diligent way. So there's a new motivation about serving wholeheartedly, primarily because we're not just working for our employer, but we're working for the Lord. And then thirdly, through this lens, we recover a new attitude and approach to our employer. Paul talks about respect and fear. I think we should be known for being courteous and respectful, not disdainful or derisive. But equally, I think we should be humbly confident rather than servile. So three things for us as employees. A new purpose, a new motivation, and a new attitude and approach. So secondly, for employers, if you're an employer, here's what seeing the world through the gospel means to you. These verses are radically challenging of the hierarchical employment structure adopted and accepted of the day that Paul wrote. They are really profoundly challenging. So here we go, three things again. Number one, through this lens, we understand that as employers, you are no different to your employees. This is pretty radical thinking. Paul says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In other words, employers behave as the Lord has instructed employees to behave. So your attitudes and actions are governed by the same realisation as your employees. So what principally governs us is not the bottom line. It's not profit, but it's people it's the, and it's the Lord. So secondly, through this gospel lens, as far as an employer is concerned, Paul is saying, don't think of yourself as a better person in any respect than those who work for you. Here's a huge challenge. Ultimately, we are all working for the ultimate employer the Lord. And in that sense, the Lord shows zero partiality. He doesn't favour the CEO over the cleaner. Both are equal. And we're not to think of ourselves as better than those that work for us. And then thirdly, one last simple thought for you as an employer. When we look through this lens, through this gospel lens, Paul is clear, don't threaten them. This is talking about the way you treat the people that work for you. So, for example, I don't know, using guilt or manipulation or coercion to get the job done. These are no-goes. As employers, we too must show respect, sincerity of heart and humility in the way we exile leadership. So, let me ask you this question. How will you serve those whom you're leading in your sphere of employment. How are you looking out for the interests, not just your own interests, but the interests of those that are working for you? Somehow, the whole redemptive process enables us to put people in as equal place as profit 
if not in a more significant way. I think um, simple explanation of those verses, but what a great way um, to view work looking through these gospel lenses. So this is a short podcast. I'm going to finish now. Some really practical stuff, simple takeaway stuff. Let me finish with three practical examples of how you can outwork the gospel perspective uh, in work. And, and there are loads more, uh, but just for the sake of time, and you've listened to a lot of information in the previous two podcasts, let's look at three things, three ways to live out in the way you do your work, the gospel of Christ. So here we go. Number one, Christians should be known not to be ruthless, but to show mercy. Christians should be known not to be ruthless, but to show mercy. As a Christian in the workplace, I think we should have a reputation for being fair, caring, and committed to others. The way we do our work should be marked by sympathy and by, I think, an unusual willingness to forgive others and to reconcile. There should be a lack of vengefulness. And equally, we shouldn't be pious and sanctimonious and shouldn't, should certainly uh, be found without any sort of spite. Why? Because this is the gospel that we've encountered. God has shown us mercy. So, too, we must show others mercy. I think you get the message there of carrying the gospel that we've been shown into the working environment. So number one, Christians should be should not be known to be ruthless, but to show mercy. Number two, Christians should be known to be generous, giving, and open-handed. Let me say that again for those of you that are putting your hands over your ears. Christians should be known to be generous, giving, and open-handed. In our workplaces, I think this can be expressed in loads of different ways. Um, if you're in business management, for example, this could be shown by being generous with your time and investment, both in and with employees and your customers. Lavish, be lavish with your time. Be generous with your time. Maybe as a small business owner, you could decide to take less personal profit in order to give customers better value and or your employees better pay. I probably need to say that again because that's so counterculture. But it's truly living out the gospel in a practical way. You see, as citizens of a different kingdom, we can be discernibly more generous with our time and money, uh, even giving away more of our income than others in the same economic position. And maybe for higher earners, they can consider living modestly and below their potential lifestyle in order to be financially generous to others. Sounds like a huge call. But this is the gospel that we have encountered personally. A generous, giving, open-handed gospel. And then thirdly, and with this we'll start to draw things to a conclusion, as Christians, we should also be known to be calm and poised in the face of difficulty or failure. We should be calm or poised in the face of difficulty. This may be is one of the most telling ways to judge if we're really drawing on the resources of the gospel in the development of our personal character. 
You remember Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 6 about where your treasure is located. He says, he says this, don't store up your treasure, treasure for yourself on earth where it's subject to decay. And then he goes on to tell us where your heart is, there will be your treasure. So what does this mean for us? Um, what's he meaning by all of this? Well, I think all of us have treasure. We could say it's the things that we cherish, the things that we take pleasure in, and, and maybe even the things that we adore. This word adoration is really close to the word worship. All of us have things that we, we uh, take pleasure in, cherish and adore. These are things that in many ways give us meaning, they give us purpose, and they give us security. But I think what Jesus is driving at is if we get meaning from our money in the bank, the approval of our peers, or we rely on our reputation for success, then these things very soon um, will become treasures, or indeed have already become treasures. This is why for some, though not all, the prospect of, say, career reversal, maybe a business failing, or being passed over for a promotion are a huge struggle. You see, when our meaning and our purpose are at stake, often we panic, we act impulsively, and sadly, we may even find ourselves able to lie or betray others to save our own skin. But of course, Jesus offers a different perspective. He says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, what does this mean? Paul gives us sight of this in Colossians chapter 2. He tells us that in Christ all treasures are hidden. And as we find Christ as our treasure, then you found what it is to be truly rich. Isn't that the case? And, and the great thing is, the point Jesus is making is this truth is indestructible. It's beyond decay. Whatever status we may lose, our hope in Christ never changes. So there we go, three practical ways to live out the gospel in the workplace. So let's just recap. Um, this is about, we've, we've talked about seeing work through a gospel lens, and this really does set us free. We work with a different purpose. We're motivated by a different calling to work, to see work as an act of worship. And the gospel radically changes our attitude towards those we work with and those we work for. So what I'd like to do, I thought I should finish by reading some truly beautiful verses from Philippians chapter 2. They're probably some of my favourite verses in the Bible. Those of you that have been around a while will know I've spoken from this passage many, many times. But they describe the self-giving love of God as expressed in Jesus and Christ's willingness to embrace the and so what I want to encourage you to think about, maybe you can give this some time, talk to family and friends. Think about how this type of love can shape the way you work. Think about how these words can shape the way you work. Listen to these beautiful words. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, 
loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Listen to these words. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God, something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. How can these words find a place in the location where you work? Well, thanks for listening. Now you know what it is for your work to be an act of worship. God bless you richly. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.